that Minnesota lost by about 40 points. Yes. Uh, I don't know how many, but it was pretty bad. They got whooped by Michigan State in the tournament yesterday, and my heart was crushed. But I wasn't surprised. Uh, they're not, I mean, they won the first round. That was great. First time in seven years, so there you go. Um, well, good morning. Uh, let's just open up with a prayer, actually. All right, dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the fellowship, for the family, and just for your word. I pray that this morning you speak through me. Help me to speak the truth with conviction, Lord. Um, help us to have hearts to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, um, for those of you that don't know, we've been going through uh, the whole Old Testament. And so, just last week, Joel kind of finished up the book of Genesis. Um, but before I go any further, I want to say it's Josh Paneer's birthday. So, happy birthday, Josh. Where did he go, man? He vanished. Oh, he's right there. <laughs> and uh, his parents are here visiting with us, so welcome. It's good to see you guys. Um, but anyways, you know, I just wanted to make Josh embarrassed a little bit. Um, so, we've been going through Genesis, and we just finished that up last week. And Joel talked about... Uh, Joseph, right? And Joseph was a dreamer. He had dreams that would come from God, and he would see visions, and these actually plotted out sort of the course of his life. And eventually they came true, and he put his trust in those dreams that God gave him. Um, and we learned all sorts of amazing things from the book of Genesis, but I just want to remind you guys briefly of something that God said in the middle of all these good things that he was doing for the Israelites in Genesis chapter 15. Okay, so in Genesis 15, verse 13, it says this, it says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. So God makes a covenant with Abram. This is back in Genesis 15, right? And then he says, but there's going to be some hard times. There's going to be a major difficulty, an oppression of your people, your, your um, descendants, your family. That's going to come up. Um, so this doesn't sound so great, but it is exactly what happens. And so Joseph, right, go to Exodus chapter 1. This is where we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 1. Joseph and all of his brothers have moved to Egypt, and they've begun to multiply. And so now they're living in Egypt. They're not living in their own land. And initially they are in high favor, right? The Pharaoh loved Joseph because Joseph saved Egypt from a famine. And so he was sort of the second-hand man in the whole kingdom. Um, and the Israelites were therefore looked on with favor. But this all changes in, in Exodus chapter 1. Okay, we'll actually just start um, in verse 6. It says, Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So what happens is they're in Egypt, and then they just start having lots of kids, which is the first command of God, be fruitful and multiply, right? So they're obeying God. And God wants them to have many children because he promised Abraham that their descendants would be as numerous, his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. And so God's intention is that there would be many, many Israelites. And so here they are, they're having kids in Egypt, and so you see that God's first promise to Abram is actually coming true. But the second part of his promise was that they would live in the land of Israel. And that is not true at this point. Um, but today I want to show you guys how, through this story, Exodus 1 through 3, how, how the Israelites find themselves in slavery. 
They sigh in their slavery to God, and then they're saved by God, okay? Um, he sends someone to save them, okay? So um, chapter 1, like I said, so we're reading in verse 8 now. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taxmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Okay, so you see a theme here, right? Ruthless. Slaves. They just, they're being totally oppressed. Totally oppressed, right? They, they are God's chosen people and if they find themselves in this situation of slavery. Um, so you can imagine how they might feel in this situation, right? They might be questioning God, where are you, God? I thought we were your people. Or they might just be bitter, and they don't even realize that they're feeling things about God. Or they're just bitter towards the Egyptians. I don't know, it doesn't really say yet. But they're being brutally worked. And it's not like, I don't, you know, sometimes we think about brutal work, and it's like, well, I had to go shovel some rock. This is every day... In the sun, there's no rest. And this is the Egyptian sun. This isn't like a Wisconsin summer. This is Egypt, man. I mean, I don't even want to go there. I would die within eight seconds and turn into a red lobster, right? I mean, it's just, it's not good. And it's incredibly brutal. And the Egyptians, the reason they're doing this is because they're afraid. So it's not as if they just hate people. They're afraid and they're more concerned about themselves than other people. But they're oppressing them, right? How often do we act out of fear? towards other people, right? So it's not that hard for your average person to become like the Egyptians. Um, but it gets even worse, okay? Verse 15, Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's not true. <laughs> so God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. All right, so now we see the situation where Pharaoh thinks to himself, well, there's too many men, right? And the reason he didn't want more men is because men are more prone to attack you. Uh, that's literally what it was. He was afraid of their strength. And so he doesn't want the men. And also because if it's only women, it's easier for you to sort of take over that population. That's what he was trying to do. Um, and so he has these midwives, right? And, and it says the Hebrew midwives. And so we kind of assume that they're Jewish. And that's why they protect the Jewish children. They're not Jewish. They're actually Egyptian women who were assigned to be midwives to the Hebrews. And I imagine there was more than two. This is my assumption. 
and they probably were in charge of the whole group of midwives, right? Um, but we know that they're Egyptians because of their names. They're both Egyptian names. And because the Hebrew, a lot of translators say, is actually more like, Hebrew, like midwife to the Hebrews instead of the Hebrew midwives. Um, and so it implies this idea that they're Egyptians who are helping the Hebrews have their children. And so Pharaoh's try, kind of trying to be secretive, right? He's like, well, I'll just have the midwives do it. But the midwives do not obey Pharaoh. And it gives us a reason why. It says they feared God. Right? They feared God. They feared God more than Pharaoh. Sometimes the fear of God gets a bad rap. Like, oh, it's not really fear. It's like, no, they're afraid of God. They're more afraid of God than they are of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, he's pretty powerful. And they're just not concerned about it. And so they do what's right. And so the fear of God is a good thing. The Bible says it's the beginning of wisdom. Okay, so God blesses these midwives. And, you know, it's actually going pretty well for them. But then Pharaoh has a new plan, okay? You know what? Instead of telling the midwives to do it, I'll just tell all the people. Hey, if the Hebrews have a boy, you need to throw him into the Nile. All right, so this is brutal. This is actually the first recorded attempt at genocide in human history. And Pharaoh wants to wipe out the Jews. Okay, this isn't a, uh, a new thing. This has been going on for a long time. Um, but here's Pharaoh. This is the situation that they find themselves in. You know, and when I thought about this, I thought, man, this is pretty hard for, I think, most of us at least to relate to, right? To be in slavery, to have your male sons being killed. It's hard for us to relate to. And we can feel like, well, what does this have to do with me? Right? Why do I care about this story? This is just, just thousands of years ago. Um, you know, I don't know anyone who was involved. <laughs> and so you can feel uninterested. But the reality is, okay, when you think about our country, right, we do have a history where there was slavery. Um, and that's not really the point of this sermon, but I do want to talk about it a little bit. But also, Jesus talks about something similar in John chapter 8, okay? I had a Jewish roommate for a long time. Uh, he's actually in the Israeli Defense Force at this point, so he's very, I would say he was a devout Jew, right? He viewed, um, like, the promises of God that they should have the land to be very literal, um, and he wanted to protect that. He's a devout Jew. And I, one time I asked him, I said, why are you a Jew and not a Christian? <laughs> right? Why do you follow Judaism instead of Jesus? And he said, well, my ancestors remember. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, my great-great, however many grandfathers you want to go back, was in Egypt under Pharaoh, and he came out. And so we believe that because it's been passed down for generations. Actually a pretty good point. Uh, really interesting. It's not as if they just made this up out of thin air. This really happened, right? There's people alive today whose ancestors were there. And um, this became the definitive story in the Jewish view of the entire, of all history. Matter of fact, if you, if you go and look at the rabbis, this is the thing that they think is the most important event. Now, Christians, we actually have a different view. Typically, a Christian would say the cross, right? Or maybe the resurrection. But for the Jew, it's the exodus, and so if we want to understand the Old Testament, we really have to understand the Exodus. Like in Psalm 103, when he says, forget not all the Lord's benefits, he was probably thinking about himself, but I bet somewhere in the back of his mind was the Exodus. Because the Jews constantly talked about this. And for good reason, right? But in John chapter 8, you see this interesting interaction. Here's how we bridge the gap, right? Between the Old Testament and the New, and what this means for us. In verse 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, 
and the truth will set you free. Okay, so first of all, Jesus is addressing his disciples. And he says, if you abide in my word. Right? It's not as if you're automatically his disciple because you showed up to listen to him preach, which is what they had done. Or even if you signed up to do it, it's if you abide in my word. But he says, then the consequence of that will be this. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right? So to us, that's like, wow, that sounds great. Matter of fact, we quote this all the time. We don't even remember it's from the Bible, right? Like, the truth will set you free. And it's like, yeah, it's Jesus. <laughs> right? You see it in Hollywood films, all sorts of places. Right? And, and we think this is a good thing. Well, this isn't really how they respond, right? Look at this in verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Right? So there was a time when the offspring of Abraham were enslaved, and God freed them. And so now that they're free, when Jesus says, you're a slave, they're actually kind of offended. Like, what are you talking about? God freed us. You remember the Exodus? I remember that, even though they don't. But they're, you know, my grandfather, my gr- whoever remembers this, right? And God has set us free. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus isn't phased by their feelings about it. He says, no, you're a slave. Uh, Yeah, and you better, better accept it. Truly, truly, this is very true. You're a slave to sin. And not just you, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been in this situation many, many times where I'm sinning and I know it's wrong, but I just can't stop. And you just keep doing it and you keep doing it and you hate it and you feel oppressed by it, but you can't stop doing it. Right? And Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You know, for some of us, we're feeling enslaved, not just by sin, but by the world and its demands, right? Make this amount of money. Work this number of hours. Jeff was talking about a Sabbath. That commandment is actually a response to the slavery of the Israelites in Egypt. God actually says, the reason I want you to do this, and it's not the only reason, but it's one of them, is because in Egypt you weren't given any rest. And I, God, want to give you rest. And we'll probably talk about that later on in Exodus because that's where it comes up. And it's actually an act of resistance towards the slavery that the world is trying to impose on you. Right? And so the world, our world, right, what do they want us to be enslaved to? Well, a couple things. Number one, their vision of the future. Right? Our country has this vision of what you should do when you're old, retire and do this, that, and the other. And they want you to be enslaved to that. You want to know why? Because they make money off of it. Right? They spend billions and billions of dollars on advertising to tell us where we're going to spend our money when we're 70. <laughs> it's like, why do you think they care about that? They don't care because they want us to be happy. They care because they want your money. And I'm not saying it's wrong to retire, but I'm saying this is something that the world is trying to sell to us. They try to sell to us things like spring break, right? Spring break, and they're like, hey, you know what? Go to Florida and just party it up. That's what they talk about, and they think that if you don't do that, you can't be free. You're not happy. Right? They want us to be sold out to the idea of achievement, but only their types of achievement. Right? Get your own house, get the right job, have a certain amount of freedom to do whatever you want, and then you end up working the whole time anyways. Right? Like there's the, 
They don't actually care about you. They care about what they get from you. In the world, that's what they want to take from us. They want to make us enslaved to their way of doing things. And that's what Pharaoh was doing to the, Egypt, or to the uh, Israelites. Right? He was making them do his work instead of the work of God. As a matter of fact, initially they didn't even say, hey, let us be free. They said, let us go out and worship our God in the wilderness. And Pharaoh's like, no, you can't do that. Right? So, and he said, you say that because you're lazy. <laughs> so it's, it sounds pretty similar, right? But our world wants to enslave us. Um, thank God that Jesus has come to set us free. Right? Some of us think that living in sin is freedom because that's what the world has told us. But living in sin is slavery and living according to righteousness is freedom. And so if the sun sets us free, we'll be free indeed. So my first point is this. The Israelites found themselves in bitter slavery. And the same is true of everyone who is enslaved to sin. All right, so Exodus chapter 2. Okay, we're going to skip some of this. So Moses is born. His mother doesn't want to kill him, so she hides the birth and then puts him in a little raft thing, little basket, and Moses floats down the river. Moses escapes. And so that's how we're kind of introduced to Moses, who becomes important later on. Um, Moses then actually murders uh, a man for oppressing uh, the Israelites. And he flees. His attempt to free his people completely failed. <laughs> like, they actually despised him for murdering the Egyptian. Right? And this makes me think of some of the movements in American history that were primarily predicated on violence. Um, I believe his name was John Brown. Everybody ever heard of John Brown? Right? He was like, I'm going to free the slaves. And so he got weapons. And it just didn't work. But when you see someone like Martin Luther King come along, totally different mentality, totally different result. Right? And so, he, so Moses took matters into his own hands, and it totally failed. Um, but God uses Moses later on. But I want to point out this amazing verse in uh, verse 23. It says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Right? So here we see them in their slavery. And it says they were groaning. And I remember studying this at the university, actually, in Minnesota. And the professor said, you know, this word doesn't denote any actual noise, necessarily. It's just in their hearts. They felt the oppression, and they were groaning under the oppression. And so they groaned to God, and God hears them. It says their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. So a while back, I read a, a book... Uh, it's called The Souls of Black Folk. And I want to show you guys something that I think is really analogous to this. And maybe give you guys a good picture. Um, so, Ellen, could you put that video up? Of, of kind of this, it's called a Negro spiritual, okay? I don't know if it's offensive to use the term Negro, so, but that's what they're normally called. So I'm just going to use that. Uh, Negro spiritual. It's a type of song. This is from a movie, which I haven't seen. But it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So can you play that, Ellen? Went down to the River Jordan where John baptized three, when I woke the devil in hell, says Johnny baptized me. I say, Roger and roll, Roger and roll, my soul arise, Lord, for the year of 
dirt on the road. Well, some say John was a Baptist. Some say John was a Jew. But I say John was a preacher because my Bible says so too. I say, Rose, people just singing a song. But it was actually something bigger than that. Okay, so I got a quote for you. It's from the W.D.E.B. Du Bois. It's that, um, it's that book I was saying I read. It says, And so by faithful chance, the Negro folk song, the rhythmic cry of the slave, stands today not simply as the sole American music, but as the most beautiful expression of human experience born this side of the seas. Sometimes it is faith in life, sometimes a faith in death. Sometimes assurance of boundless justice, some far world beyond. But whichever it is, the meaning is always clear that sometime, somewhere, men will judge men by their souls and not by their skins. All right, so I just love that quote. It's beautiful because those are beautiful songs. And we actually sing many of them. And many of us don't even know where they come from. All right, wade in the water. I've actually sang that one before. There's a whole bunch of them there. There's beautiful songs. And they were all described, actually, often as groanings to God. Groanings, sighs. And in this case, they had words. But did you see that man write his face? His face as he was, he was thinking about the song, and then he, he joined in. But you could see the anguish that he was feeling. I mean, it's a good actor, but it's true. It's a true picture of what it would feel like to be under slavery. And... And this is something that God cares deeply about. Right? He cares deeply about people who are groaning under slavery. And so he reaches down and he does something about it. You know, I know I was talking about that slavery to sin. Some of us are probably groaning under our slavery to sin. God hears you. Don't deny his attempts to rescue you. Right? Actually, later on you'll see We're not going to look into it, but God sends Moses, and the people don't respond well because they're afraid and they're broken spirit. It says they had a broken spirit. Sometimes that's how we respond to God, right? And Jesus, when he's trying to rescue us from sin, we respond with our brokenness instead of with hope and joy. And so, you know, sometimes that we think 
okay, that we, sometimes we feel speechless, and that's where these groanings come in. Or sometimes we feel that um, the demands of our world are too great. I went to the cemetery, Lakeview, up on the hill, Lakeview Cemetery, and I was just thinking about this sermon, and I saw some incredible stuff, and not necessarily good stuff, but incredible. I saw, I saw a man who, was, who fought in the Civil War, 1861 to 1865. And now, I mean, probably hardly anybody knows who he is. That's an incredible thing that he experienced, right? Um, I saw a man, or a family rather, that, that actually all the children died prior to the parents. I mean, can you imagine that type of anguish that they felt? I saw a woman who lived for almost 100 years, between 1880 and 1980. Can you imagine all the things that she saw change in her life? Right? I mean, that's just a few short years after the Civil War, and she lived all the way through the, first, the two world wars. That's amazing. And the point is that, that we all face troubles, deep spiritual troubles. And, and you can't even imagine the number of things that God has witnessed over the years. And he's always had compassion for those people. He cares deeply. And so God hears the cry of his people, Right? Um, Isaiah 59 says this. Isaiah 59, verse 1 through 2. It says, Is the arm of the Lord too short to save, or his ear too dull to hear? But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Is the arm of the Lord too short to save? Of course not. Don't you remember the Exodus? And is his ear too dull to hear? Of course not. Don't you remember the Exodus? Right? God hears us. Sometimes we talk about God, and we call, it's called an anthropomorphism, right? We'll say, God doesn't really have ears. And yeah, maybe that's true. He doesn't have a physical ear like I have. But I think the opposite is true, right? Theomorphism. We have ears because God has bigger ears. <laughs> right? And we have mouths because God has a really loud voice. <laughs> and we have arms because God's arm is not too short to save. Like we like to put God in a box, but really we're the ones who are put in a box, and God's the one who has no box. So let's look at what God responds. So he hears their groaning, and in Exodus chapter 3, we'll see what happens. Um, We'll start in verse 1, because this is a beautiful story, and it's just something we need to be familiar with. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why, the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. He said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So here's Moses. He sees this miraculous sight, and he turns to look. And he's not afraid of the miraculous sight. He was afraid when he realized who was behind it. And why does God say, I'm the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? 
Because he wants him to know who he is, and he wants him to remember the promises he made to his fathers. Right? So this is a beautiful thing. God always says, I'm, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, so know that I do care. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. All right, so here God says twice. He says, I have heard your cry. He just keeps repeating himself. I've heard, I've heard. My ear is not too dull to hear. And now I'm going to show you that my arm is not too short to save. And I'm going to fulfill all my promises to Israel. Not only the promise that you'll be numerous, but that you'll live in the land that I've given to you. All right? It's a beautiful thing. And Moses is like, well, why would you send me? I'm kind of not great. (laughs) They already don't like me after I murdered that Egyptian, right? So first of all, God often works to bring salvation through people. But secondly, those same people don't often feel adequate to the job. And so God says, I'll be with you, and you'll know after it happens. (laughs) He says, this is how you know. You shall serve God on this mountain. So after it happens, you'll know that it was true. It's like, that's not exactly fair to me. (laughs) Right? Moses is like, wait a minute. What? This is ridiculous. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, (laughs) he keeps repeating it, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. You and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who is in her house for silver and gold, jewelry, and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. So first of all, a lot of momentous things just happened. For the first time, God says his name. He says, I am who I am. 
I have no idea what that really means, but it's pretty cool. I, it's like, who are you? I am who I am. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I mean, nobody else can say that. God is so absolute that he can say, I am who I am, and that actually conveys who he is. For us, it's just nonsense, right? And then he tells him, he tells him repeatedly, go and tell them what I'm going to do for them. We need the word of God preached to us to trust in him. We need to be in the word of God and we need to hear it from others as well. But then this is the most important part I want to focus on. He says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. And so we'll see how God shows his might to Pharaoh. And it's not as if he just hates Pharaoh. He just wants his people to be let go. And Pharaoh will refuse time after time after time. You know, all of mankind is under slavery to sin. And we groan under our burden. And some of us don't even realize that we're groaning. We feel it in our hearts, but we can't even put words to it. And Jesus says this in Matthew 11, verse 28 and 30. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we submit to God and if we throw off the yoke of sin, we can find the yoke of freedom under His rule and His kingdom. So this is a time when we take communion. I want us to remember that Jesus saved us from our slavery. He heard our cries for help, and He stepped in and He sacrificed His own life and compelled the powers that oppress us to let us go. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you so much for Jesus, his blood, his sacrifice on the cross that rescued us from the powers of darkness. We thank you that your ear is not too dull to hear and your arm is not too short to save. And you sent your son to do your work, just as you sent Moses to rescue the people of Israel. Lord, I pray that the story of Exodus can become part of who we are, that those of us who feel uh, oppressed can take encouragement from this story. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.
I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine Yeah Surrounded by your glory What will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak it all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. Thanks, Phil. Cool. 
Right on. Thanks, Josh. And oh, they're gone. Oh, they're back there. Okay. And Grayson, that was awesome. Thanks for preaching the message out of Exodus. Uh, just a reminder how um, we all are slaves to this world, God, and how God uh, just offers us 